It's been a great morning of worshiping God, and we're going to continue to worship Him now with this preach, because preaching is actually a form of worship in and of itself. And if you were here last week, there was a great sermon that Duncan preached about David and Goliath. As we started our new series called On Purpose, and we're looking at the life and the impact of David. And you guys will have heard Dunk say that we have a lot to learn about our purposes and how we walk them out when we look at David in both his triumphs and also the mistakes that he made. He was a man of great passion and great purpose, but he wasn't perfect in those things in every instance. You'll remember if you were here last week that Dunks preached about the fact that David was right in his purpose in going up against Goliath, that God had actually destined for that to be a thing. He got behind it. But David's motives were wonky. If you remember, his motives were money, a wife, and no taxes, right? Great motives. I'm in for that one. It's not a holy trinity, but it's a, it's a trinity of some sorts. God didn't get behind the passions, the, the motives of his heart, didn't endorse it, but did with the purpose. I'm looking at literally the opposite this morning. I'm looking at an instance where God actually approves and endorses the motives of David's heart, but the purpose is not for David. And God gives a no, that's not your purpose. And so that's where we, we're going to be looking at today. So this sermon today is about when God says no. That's not your purpose. And so we're going to open on 2 Samuel chapter 7. You can turn there if you've got your Bibles or, or you've got your apps on your phone. It'll also come up behind me on the, on the Sky Bible. And we're going to look at when David resolves to build the temple for God. It says this in 2 Samuel. Now when the king, the king is David by the way, when he lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies surrounding him, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So this is a moment where David resolves and he says, I'm going to build a temple to the living God. And my first heading is this, that it was a holy resolve, a holy resolve. A resolve is when we are determined absolutely determined to do something but often we determine to do something out of self-interest but when God when it's for God and his glory it's a holy resolve and that's what we have in David he has really a holy resolve a good desire to build this temple to God and the first thing I want to say about it is that it comes out of his godly perspective it comes out of his godly perspective that he's motivated that way let's take a look at his words you guys will have heard it now he says, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar. Now, some of you live in cedar down the road, and you're like, yeah, I also live in a house of, in cedar. That's uh, not what he's saying. He's saying, I live in a house made of cedar wood. Cedar wood was imported from Lebanon. It was expensive stuff. It was like saying, I live in the most jacked up house. It's the best. It's like saying, I, have, I live in a house of granite countertops, marble, crystal chandeliers. I've got it all. Right, if he lives in a house of cedar, that's the top of the tops. That's like worthy of an episode of Cribs in Israel, right? They would want to document that thing. He lived in a palace. It says, I stay in this house of cedar, but the ark of the Lord dwells in a tent, right? The ark of the Lord, that was where God's presence physically dwelt. This picture is going to come up behind me, and you will have seen it if you've been around this year. The Ark of the Covenant, that's where God's presence dwelt in the Old Testament. It was kind of like a Wi-Fi hotspot of God's presence. 
If you were near, you were near the presence of God. If you were a bit further away, the signal got a bit weaker. So there was his Wi-Fi hotspot was the Ark of the Covenant. It was a holy place. And God had set that Ark inside of the tabernacle or tent. Again, another picture coming up behind me just to give you an idea of what that looked like. That was since the days they came out of Egypt in that final episode of prison break where the chains were set free and they came out of Egypt and they dwelt in the wilderness and God was there in the Ark of the Covenant in the tent. But now they're no longer in the wilderness. Now they're in Israel and people are getting upgrades on their houses. People are like, it's time for cribs for me. And the riches are pouring in. They're defeating the enemies. David's got an upgraded house. But God is still camping. God's still out there in a tent. And Dave's like, I can't be doing that. How can God be camping? That's not right. And some of you who hate camping are like, amen. Praise his holy name. As for me, we will not. But actually, God actually said in 1 Kings, just to let you know, that Dave, I was actually fine living in a tent. So if you're too good for camping, but the Lord God Almighty isn't, I don't know, man. That's just one point for the campers right there, right there. But here's the principle. David says, I'm not going to do more for my own personal house than I'm going to do for the house of the living God. I'm not going to blow more money on myself than I'm going to blow money on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I wonder if we hold that kind of principle and tension in our own lives. I want to say that he had a godly perspective. He had a godly perspective. And it led to a glorious project, which is my second sub-point, that it wasn't just a good perspective. It was a humongous project. In fact, it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5, that the, the temple must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory through all the lands. That was David's heart. He was like, this ain't going to be your average temple. This is going to be so awesome that the people from the surrounding nations are going to come and they're going to know how great our God is because they're going to see his holy temple and they're going to worship him. So for him, it was a huge project. This was the project of all projects. This guy's getting old now. Davy's got his gray hairs there. Maybe he's a bit crippled. He's been slaying guys left, right, and center with the sword. But the last project before he goes, he's like, I'm going to build that temple. It's going to be huge. It's a glorious project. Great leaders take time to prepare for great projects and hand over the baton. This was one of those. But I want to say that the great motive of his heart was always his passion for God. It was his great passion for God that was the reason for the building of this temple. David was a worshiper of the Lord. That was who he was. And out of gratitude, he sat there thinking, how can I repay God for all that he's done for me? In fact, in, in our passage, 2 Samuel 7, he says, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you would have brought me so far? I wonder if that rings true for you and me. That do we ever sit in gratitude saying, Lord, who am I that you would have mercy on me? That you would have loved me? That you would have guarded me all the days of my life? That, you would, that your goodness and mercy would follow me? Who am I, Lord? And so David sits there thinking, what can I do for him? What can I bring for him? What can I sing for him? What can I do for this majestic king? And out of the gratitude of his heart, he says, I'm going to build a temple. And as he slept that night, he probably thought about the plans of this great temple. But the prophet Nathan wasn't sleeping so well. Because God spoke to that prophet Nathan. And God said, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David... Thus says the Lord, it's not you who will build me a house to dwell in. So David's motives were good. But passion, tick, 
purpose gets across. It's not you that's going to build the temple. And so this brings us to heading number two, a hard reply. It's a hard reply when God says, no, it's not for you. This isn't what you have in your heart. It's not what I have in my heart. And God isn't obligated to tell us why. His yes is his yes and his no is his no. But God is gracious. He tells David, as David is, is unpacking, uh, giving over the project to Solomon later in his life, he recalls this. He says, David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart, right? He really wanted it. I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and waged great wars. You shall not build a house in my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you and shall be, he shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from his surrounding enemies. His name will be Solomon. Solomon is a play on the word shalom, which means peace. His name shall be Solomon and I will give him peace and quiet in Israel in his days. He shall build a house in my name. So because David was a man of war, a man of blood, it's inappropriate for a house of peace to be built by the hands of a man who wages war. And rather, God had determined that his son Solomon shall be a man of peace and that the man of peace shall be the builder. But this is a hard no. I wonder if, if you've ever received a no in your walk with God. Have you ever had all of your dreams, all of your plans and all of your goals shattered by God saying, that's not my will for your life? I wonder if you've ever been in that place where God says no. I wonder if you're like some of us, when God says no, we're like, am I sure that I heard God correctly yeah. there? Was that a no? Yeah. Uh, surely it was a not yet, right? It was a, surely. And you know, signal's a bit hazy, Lord, let's try that one again. You know, with load shedding, the signal towers go down and let's try that again. Maybe put out a fleece or two if you know that story of Gideon. Let's make triple sure that that's what you said. But in actual fact, when God says no, it's not even a not yet. It's just a no. And we need to be willing to accept that God's no is his no. But his no is always filled with as much love and as much kindness as when he says go. If he gives us a green light or if he gives us a red light, there's the same dosage of wisdom and loving kindness behind each answer. Um, in preparation, I was reading about a family, the Clark family that were in Ireland. This, uh, father, this uh, dad and mom, they had nine kids. I don't know what they were thinking. But anyway... They had nine kids. For me, one is good. Uh, one is enough to keep me on my toes. We had a baby dedication in the first gathering, and Vaughan was saying, we need help to raise our children. I was like, oh, I receive that. Thank you. Um, they had nine kids. Must be tight budget when you have nine kids. These guys were, were skimping and saving to sail across to the USA. This was a while back. They were in Ireland. Things were tough in those days in Ireland. And so they skimped and saved with everything that they had, made great sacrifices because they had a dream and a desire that they would go. They prayed about it, that God would let them go. But then one week before they are set to go, all the papers are in order. These guys are ready. The youngest boy gets bitten by a dog. Doctor comes around and says, there's a chance that your boy has rabies. You need to quarantine for two weeks. Now we know quarantine ain't fun. But they had to quarantine for two weeks, but in one week they set to sail. 
And what happened was that sail, that ship set sail without them as they stayed behind in Ireland for every dream and desire of their hearts. And they prayed about it and they worshiped God through it. And yet, this is what happened. Well, a few days later, let's see if I get the, the date absolutely right. A few days later on the 15th of April, 1912, that very ship that they would have been on sank to the bottom of the sea. It was the Titanic. And the same father that a few days before was shaking his fists at God saying, you're not worthy of worship, fell down on his knees and worship, kissed his son and worshiped God saying, thank you for sparing us. I think we don't see the picture that God sees. And so when he says no, we don't understand why there's loving kindness behind it. But when we can't trace his hand, we have to trace his heart. That he is the God that his yes is kind, his no is kind. Green lights, red lights, they're all motivated by his loving kindness. But unlike the Clark family, we might, might get a no from God and not find out the reasons why. And God is calling us a summons to worship. That when he says no, that we still worship him even if he doesn't give us the reasons. I'm, my mom here in the front row, she's been a, in a wheelchair now for 33 years or so there. Um, and my mom has sought God for healing many, many, many times before. And by the way, my mom is a, a woman of prayer, intercession, faith, and holiness. She's a great woman of faith, and she's prayed many times, and many people have prayed for her for healing. But at some point, she had trouble because she sensed that it was a no from God. And I know that in, in heaven there's no wheelchairs, that there will be healing. She may even be healed this side of eternity. But one thing that my mom had to make peace with is God was saying no, at least for now, for healing. And my mom struggled with that. And there's one verse that she said healed her heart on this matter. And we're going to find it. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when David had a son before Solomon out of an affair and the boy was very sick and David prayed day and night for this boy to be delivered if you have a son or a daughter I don't even know if I can imagine the strength of desire to see healing come to this little one that was born but it turned out that it wasn't God's will to spare this boy and David was scared to, the servants were scared to tell David because they thought he would flip out. So one day he approached them and he said, they, he said, is my boy dead? It says this, yes, they replied, he died. Listen to the reaction, verse 20. Then get David got up off of the ground. That means he was weeping on the ground. He got up off the ground. He changed his clothes and he went to the Lord's house and he worshiped and my mom told me this weekend this is the verse that changed her heart about God's no that David was willing to receive the worst news the biggest no in his life and still get up off the ground put on new clothes and say I'm going to worship God whether I'm on the mountaintop whether I'm in the valley 
whether he's blessing me today or whether it's difficult today, whether he gives me green lights, red lights, he's still worthy of all my worship because he's the same God that he always was. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the bread of heaven. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the gracious one who sits on the throne. He is the one who paints us with his blood and forgives us a thousand sins. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is worthy of worship, whether it seems like he's blessing us or whether it seems like he's cursing us, our duty is to get up off the ground, change our clothes and say, I'm going to the house of the Lord to worship him. I'm not going to let my worship be dependent on whether I think he's blessing me or not. I'm going to make my worship dependent on the fact that he's God and I'm not and he deserves my worship. And this is the verse. Yeah, you guys can clap. I just want to honor my mom in this. Do you know what kind of faith it is when God says you won't be healed? And my mom says, I'm going to worship you. I love it. I pray that my faith will be that rock solid as my mother. I know that we should be looking to Jesus. He is the one that we look to. But this is just someone immediately in my life that I look to and I say, oh man, in that aspect, I really want to be like my mother. I really want to worship God unconditionally. I really want to believe that no matter what he does in my life, He's worthy of praise, that he's worthy of worship, that when God says no, it's a test and a trial for you and me. Nothing can test our faith quite like when God says no to our biggest desire of our heart. That's when the the rubber hits the road and we find out whether we worship God because he gives us stuff we like or whether we really worship the true living God because we love him. It's a summons for us to worship when God says no. It's a more costly summons than when God says yes, green light, go. Yes, we must still worship him then. We must still obey him then. But obedience and worship is costly when God says no. And it's a sweet worship to God. Not easy, but immense and beautiful. And so how would David respond on this day when God says, you're not my guy. I know you want to build this house. I know it's your retirement project. You're not the guy. Well, what we see is actually a very humble response in David. A very humble response. He says this in 1 Chronicles 22 as he's handing the project over to his son, Solomon. Solomon, my son, he's gathered the guys around. He's like, come boys, come, let's gather around. I'm going to charge this, this, this son, but I'm also going to charge you guys. Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. Scholars say he was maximum 20 years old when he was going to become king. But the house that's going to be built for God must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all the land. I will therefore make preparation for that temple. So David provided the materials of great quantity before his death. Don't you love the response of David? He's like, that's not my project to build. You know what, God? It's your project. The project belongs to the Lord. It's not about David building. It's not about Solomon building. It's about the Lord building. And therefore, even if it's not my role, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get behind this project. I'm going to get silver, bronze, iron, wood, every material needed. And I'm going to hand it over so that when the baton gets passed to my son Solomon, he has everything that he needs to succeed in the purposes of God. And I wonder if that's our heart. If God says, no, that's not my purpose for you, you're going to play second fiddle. You're going to play support role. You're going to make sure that when the next generation comes that they are propelled ready for the purposes of the living God you're not going to be up in lights you're not going to be the guy but you're going to make preparation for it for some of us our calling in God has more to do with preparation than destination 
Some of us are called to get things ready. Some of us are warriors like David. He had to clear the lands of every enemy of the Lord. He had to slay with the sword so that when his son Solomon came, there was peace in the land and he could build that temple. He brought the materials in preparation for the temple. All of us are building on foundations for the next generation because God's the God of generations, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His purposes doesn't stop at the end of your life, nor did it actually begin at the start of your life. God is the Alpha, the Omega, the mover of the nations, like Alvira said, and his purposes extend beyond our generation. And God wants us to know if we'll be faithful with the role we've been given, not for our glory, not for our fame, but for his purposes, so that in the next generation, they can be on fire for Jesus, that there can be a revival that breaks out in South Africa like a wildfire that sweeps across every culture, every ethnicity, and people are not bound by the rainbow nation, but they're bound by the blood of Jesus together. Brothers and sisters. And we don't get to cherry pick our role. God gets to pick because he's the king and he's my king. And here we are in City Green. This is just other people have prepared the ground for where we are now. In 2010, PJ and their congregation there in God First in Ferndale, they sacrificially gave in that year because they got a prophetic word about this property on Pritchard and Witkoppen. And they forked out loads of cash. They were giving like every year with more giving day, more giving day, more giving days. And then they sacrificially bought this land. But PJ would not be the one who comes and preaches on this stage. And that comes and that, that congregation, most of the people from Ferndale, there are few here, most of them have never stepped foot on this property, but their work wasn't about them, it was about what God was going to do. And then we have in 2018, Glenn Campbell, when we were still at the Buzz Shopping Center, he said it's time to, uh, uh, to, to appropriate these promises of God about this property. And he, with great sacrifice, and many of us with great sacrificial giving, we moved from the warehouse down the road to this property in 2018. But Glenn wouldn't enjoy preaching on this stage for very long either, because a little over a year in, he actually went to the United States, and it's us that have our turn now. Yeah. And the question is, are we going to be faithful now, not just to build an, a, a, a great building there, but to build a spiritual house where God is glorified and yeah. Jesus is lifted up. Right. It's not about what we get. It's about what comes later. I want to make yeah. sure that long after I leave City Hope Church, Laura and I might be flap. We, we don't know where we're going to be. I do. She doesn't. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be there. I want to make sure that when I leave City Green, there's a torrent of strong faith that the youth are set up, the kids are set up, that the next generation's greater than the one that came before. Because God's the God of generations. We just get to play a role in His kingdom. My question is, will you be content to play any role in God's kingdom? And not cherry pick. What if God's desires for your life and His purposes do not involve any of your dreams? What if he calls you to leave them all at the floor? Leave security, leave financial security, leave physical security, and leave your dreams and passions and come follow me. Will we drop our nets like the fishermen did and go follow Jesus for that purpose? What if God's purpose for your life is to use you not in your strengths, but in your weaknesses? I think always about my mom, God's purpose for her life, that in her weakness, God would be made strong such a testimony to many of us would we be willing to accept that purpose of being used in our weakness if we are willing 
to do what David did and say, yes, Lord. When you say no, I say, yes, Lord. God will reward us. He will reward us. It says here, what, when, when David took this posture, God says, listen, Dave, you want to build me a house? I'm going to build you a house. This is what he says in 2 Samuel. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Right? When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'm going to raise the offspring up after you. you shall, they shall come from your body. I'll establish your kingdom. He shall build a house in my name. I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. And what actually is being promised is that there would be an eternal kingdom of David that reaches its fulfillment in Jesus one day. Even as the angel came to Mary, the scriptures say, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And God will give him to the throne. Sorry. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of who? His father, David. Revelation chapter 5 verse 5 says this weep no more behold the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david has conquered christ's rule and reign will always be referenced in relation to david's throne that he comes from his father david that he holds the key of david that he sits on the kingdom of david what kind of honor was bestowed upon david for just giving up the right to build a temple Here's the sacrifice. Don't build a temple. Here's the reward. Be in the same bracket as Jesus' name for all generations. What kind of misproportionate rewards are we talking about with God? If we sacrifice temporarily by saying yes to God, that's not my purpose, but yes to God, He will reward us. I don't even think tenfold is an accurate proportion. God's rewards for those of us who sacrifice for Him are immense. No worship is wasted. No sacrifices unrewarded in the kingdom. You might not taste it in this life, but you'll be laying up yourself treasures in heaven. It is well worth it to sacrifice to the living God. It is well worth it. But the main story in Scripture, it's actually never about Moses. It's never about David. It's never about Isaac. It's always about Jesus. All these subplots, they kind of form the basis of the main story in Scripture. The main story is Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so in this passage, we see something that we should trace to the gospel of Jesus. And that's that David was a warrior, a man of the sword, a conqueror. Well, Jesus was a conquering king as well. He was a conqueror, though, where his weapon wasn't the sword. But he would give himself as a sacrifice the weapons that he used was his own life forfeit and the enemies that he fought were not people around the nations of israel but the enemy of satan and of our sin and willingly that was the purpose set before him and unlike david he was a man that always was right in passion always was right in purpose but one day he stood sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane and he thought about the purpose that was set before him. We read in Matthew 6, Matthew 26, sorry. Jesus, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to the guys, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain with me and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face. And he prayed saying, Father, if it's possible, would you let this cup pass from me? That means, Lord, is there any other way except for me dying 
like a common criminal. Is there any way that this cup can pass from me? But here's the kicker. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And when Jesus prayed that prayer, we got the biggest no in all of Scripture. The Father said, there's no other way. And it says in the Scriptures, it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. To crush Him for you and for me. Can you imagine what that would have been like? You want to talk about a hard reply, that's a hard reply. You want to talk about a humble response? Jesus got up off the floor. Remember it says he fell to the floor. He got up off the floor and he went set to be slaughtered on a hill outside of Jerusalem for you and for me. Because of our sins, our God is a holy God, hey? His character is holy. His, his dominion is holy. His heaven is holy. There's not a spot or wrinkle or anything wrong there. And so we can't approach God. It's impossible. But thank God for Jesus that his crimson blood that he shed for us on the cross is, this, is the same blood that pays for a trillion, trillion sins. For everything that we've done wrong, the past generation, the future generation, the blood has paid the full debt for all of us. And I want to tell you today that when I am prepping this preach, it's a tough preach to hear. It's a tough preach to preach because I've got to preach it to myself first. But when I look at Jesus and how he when God said no to Jesus, he went obediently to the cross and sacrificed himself for me to live in eternity. It gives me the power in my heart to say, Jesus, I'll play any role for you in your kingdom. You can take me in my weakness. You can take me against all of my passions. Just let me be on team Jesus and his purposes because he went through hell just for me. And he shed his blood just for me. And so we're going to do some business with God and we're going to get ready for communion and we celebrate what Jesus did for us. So I want you to stay seated. The band's going to hop up on stage. They're going to play. Jesus paid it all. And I want you to do some business with God in prayer. There might be a response of forgiveness that you come to God with today. You might want to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I've been off course. I've been trying to get you to back my purposes. I want to ask forgiveness because I should be backing your purposes. I've been off course, Lord, forgive me. That might be one of the responses. Another one might be surrender. Do you today want to say, I surrender my job, my relationships, my dreams, my purposes, my goals. I surrender them all at the foot of the cross. And I bring them to you, Lord, because I want to say they are your goals and your purposes. That's what matters. I want to surrender everything before you today. That might be what you want to respond with today. Or it might be that you have a hard no from God today. And God is summonsing you to come and worship Him despite the knives and the difficulty of that no. If that's you, why don't you do some business with God and just pray, Lord, I want to worship you. Even tears rolling down my eyes, I want to say you're worthy. doesn't make sense to me, but you are worthy Lord so I want to worship you and so whether it's forgiveness or surrender or even a summons to worship we're going to respond each every one of us staying on our seats the band's going to sing a little bit over us about Jesus paying it all for us and then I'm going to lead us in communion